0: the beep, beep. are listening to the High Poetry Collective here at KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz. The Hive's mission is to bring a diverse community together in appreciation of all kinds of poetry by all kinds of people. I'm your host, Julia Chiappella, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Caridad moro Gronier. Hello, Carrie. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Julia. I'm really happy to be here. You're on the other side of the country. How's Miami these days? Miami's actually quite warm, but we got a little bit of a,
1: of a cold snap you call for us here. It's about high 60s this morning.
0: So that's almost nippy for us. So. Wow. Can't <laughs> complain. No, can't complain at all. I want to let our um, listeners know that Caridad is the author of Tortillera, which was published in 2021. And we're going to be reading some poems. Carrie's going to be reading some poems from from that book today. Um, Tortiera was the winner of the TRP Southern Poetry Breakthrough Series Florida, and also the 2022 Eric Hoffer Book Award Honorable Mention, 2022 First Horizon Award finalist, that's kind of a mouthful, and 2022 International Latino Book Award Honorable Mention. And she's also produced the chapbook, Visionware, and that was out in 2009. Perry is also the contributing editor for Grabbed, Poets and Writers Respond to Sexual Assault. That came out in 2020 from Beacon Press. And she's associate editor for SWIM, that's S-W-W-I-M, Every Day, uh, which is an online daily poetry journal for women identifying poets. And people should check that out. It's a gorgeous website. And uh, Carrie just does a lovely job of getting people on there every single day, which is an effort. Uh, her her uh, recent work can be found at America's Best Poetry Blog, Let Me Say This, a Dolly Parton Poetry Anthology, Split This Rock, Limpress Magazine, and others. And as we mentioned earlier, she lives in Miami, Florida with her family. La familia. Good to have you here,
1: but originally from the West Coast, Julia, ah. originally from the West Coast. So shout out to my to my
0: California of my heart. Where? Where in California? Uh, I was born in Culver City. Oh, I grew up. Up in, I, well, I, I went to uh, the Catholic Church in Culver City for many, many years when I was a kid. OK, yeah. St. Augustine's St. Augustine's. Yes,
1: yes. Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, Hermana, we have something in in common. Um, yeah, so Cortipiera, yes. Harry is just such a rich, raw, uh, personal book, and I know you've got um, there's there's tributes in there or or uh, homages to both um, uh, Anne Sexton and Sappho. Uh, you, yes. you cite them both in there. But what I what I really love about Tortillera is the way the book was put together. There was so much attention paid to the book as a whole with its three parts. And as I was going through it, I uh, I named for myself the three parts as Arrival, Resistance, and reclamation. So I don't know if that jives at all with you, but <laughs> there.
1: Absolutely. It absolutely does jive with the experience of, of the speaker. Cause it is as, as you say, it's, you know, three acts, right. But in my mind, it was Cuban girl tries to be good girl. Cuban girl rebels. Cuban girl grows up, right. Becomes yeah. herself. Yeah. so it was like this trajectory of of grappling with with all those different movements in a life
0: yeah yeah it's it's so clear that 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 happens and throughout that book and additionally I mean, of course, there's there's all there's so much intersectionality going on in this book, because not only is it a woman, it's a Latinx woman, it's uh, the daughter of uh, Cuban immigrants. So there's the immigrant woman, first generation Cuban American. There's the queer woman. So these all these overlapping pieces and establishing identity and voice from a, from the standpoint of someone who's grown up in a, a environment and a culture where it's very narrowly prescribed for you. For one. Yes. Yeah.
1: Very much so. Um, You know, in, in multiple readings of the book, uh, it it was published in 2021. So it's been two years now. I, it amazes me how much of the book is rooted in domesticity, in um, gender roles, and and I I use them as my metaphor, as my symbology, right? Because that's what I lived, and but within that narrowness, I found it's not an accident that I found a way to use these things as metaphors, which are multi which are uh, it. Up to interpretation, which are subjective, right? So I was able to take these very tight, narrow constraints and make them grow by using the poetry, by using the work. So it's interesting how you're right, those narrow constraints exist in the book and in the representation of them and in my life. But, um, you know, I found a way to twist them and turn them in my favor.
0: You have, you have, and the book is a beautiful testament to that. I I just wanted to, um, if you, I'd love to hear your, your uh, before we read the first poem from Tortillera, uh, from that first section, um, I'd love to have you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey to poetry, because it was, a, it's, it's a little bit out of the box. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um. Well, you know, I've
1: always written poetry going back to, I want to say first grade, and I still have them in, you know, in my diaries that I've kept. I'm um, a little bit of a hoarder, but I'm very organized. I'm very organized. <laughs> so I know where everything is. So I get a pass. So um, I've always loved poetry, always written it badly, but I, I started, I've always been a part of it. I started to get serious about it. About 2004, after my son was born in 2002, and I realized, okay, I've done this big, huge thing that I was expected to do, and I'm going to need more. And the act of creating uh, opened something in me, and I realized I could create more than just this child, right? This life that was not mine. So that got me to really contemplating what I wanted to do what I really wanted to do because I went and I got an MA that was the safe degree that was I could be a professor I could be a teacher that was the exile mentality right so I decided to throw out that voice and I started to take cobble together my own MFA I started to take workshops with you know incredible teachers uh um Jim Daniels was one of the first ones uh uh, the, Richard Blanco was one of my, he was my friend, but he was also my teacher, right? So that was oh, wonderful nice. because he understood where I was coming from. Kathy Bowman, I can go on and on, all these just different workshops. And I started to submit and I started to cobble together a book one yes at a time. And that's when the chat book came out in 2009. And there's this big, huge chunk of time between that and Tordiana, but I was working full time. I was raising a child. I was writing you know, piecemeal any way that I could, and it took a little while for the book to coalesce. Yeah. So little by little, it did, and then I I went to a I was part of a cohort um, with Letras Latinas out of Notre uh, Notre Dame, and um, it was this co it was the Smithsonian had an art exhibit called Our Latino Art. It was an exstatic. Uh, gathering. Uh, we d- would look at the at the work at the Frost Museum at FIU with other poets, Emma Trellis, Francisco Aragon, Mia Leone, Silvia Corbello, just these amazing, amazing poets and colleagues, and that that gathering broke something open in me, and I started to talk about Tortillera, the title, could I do it? What would I have to explain? I didn't want to appropriate the life of a Mexican woman making tortillas, right? How did I? How did I get that done? So that conversation started, and when that happened, I actually realized, hey, I can do this, and I can say this. And you know, tortillas is wrought in many, many ways. It's starting with the the title of it, which is a slur in in Cuban mm-hmm. vernacular, and and you know, having the the hutzpah. To actually name my book that took took a lot of talking and took a lot of support. And it was through those communities that I had forged through that, that you know, homegrown MFA that I had cooking that I was able to do that. So that's how I got to the place where I was submitting the manuscript. And I have to tell you the best story about actually how I got to this point. Okay. I had been sending it around uh, the manuscript for, I'd say, a good five years. And I, it had finaled many times, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. <laughs> and it was June 2020. And I said to my wife, okay, I'm done. I'm going to just put it in a drawer and I'm going to start something
0: else. I, I kind of surrendered, right? Not and even, you weren't going to, you weren't planning to submit it place at that point. You were just putting it well, away. Well, I had
1: submitted it so many times already. Yeah, that, that I thought,
0: well, it, you know, if it's not
1: happening, maybe I need to take a, a breather and start another project. So an hour later, I got the call that I had won the contest uh, and that they were publishing the data an hour later.
0: Testament so, to give up and it'll happen.
1: Yeah, I had to surrender the fight. Yeah. And then it happened.
0: That's, so That's terrific. That's a great story. Yeah let us let us all remember that lesson. Um, So I just want to say really quickly before you read this first poem, because I want to give I want to give respect to the first poem in the book, which is very unusual. It's like a dictionary entry. And it really does a lot toward laying out the the scope of the book and also defining for your readers the multifaceted definitions of tortillera and how, you know, that slur, that slur and reclaiming that slur. So I, I just want to um, uh, give you credit for that. I love that. And, and uh, I would love to, if you are willing, which I'm sure you are, since you're here, <laughs> read for us topography.
1: Topography interestingly enough came out of that workshop the pintura palabra so we were my I love Ana Mendieta and, and this was a response piece to her a painting from the silueta series so that's the attribution topography after ana mendieta silueta series 1980 you have come to make sense of this land to lie within a canyon of want stake a spot of stone with the weight of your bones. You have come to plant your body in this cracked earth, parched stream bed that survives on the memory of water. You have come as if this place could sustain you, retain the whole of you, the stamp and edge of you, but Los Estados Unidos will never be home. You have come to leave your impression in the ground, a reminder of what is left after the stripping away of root, seed, soil, cavern, chronicle, chasm.
0: Lovely. Thank you. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with Caridad Moro-Colonier here at the High Poetry Collective. KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz. I'm your host, Julia Chiappella, and Carrie has just read for us topography, which is in the first section of her book, Tortillera. And what is so striking about this poem, Carrie is, for me, is it's an acrostic poem because you were in that, that workshop, and um if anybody doesn't know those for those listeners who don't know about Ana Mendieta Mendieta see sí. <laughs> thank you <laughs> i break trip over some of it but i'll do some i'll do my best uh it's beautiful work it is just lush and the body and the body as as earth the body as earth the body as as uh as you say in this cavern chronicle chasm, all of those things. And it's a, a beautiful rendition and, and homage to her work, but the anaphora in here, you have come, you have come, you have come, you have come. It there's, there's, you know, the, the, the sexual connotation of that with it, with the earth too. Um, I think, but you know, all- I
1: never, I never thought of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I love, and I love that about, this business that uh-huh. we do because you know once you write the poem you relinquish it to the world and to every reader's interpretation of that and you're absolutely right yeah absolutely I, as i would tell my students can we argue this with the text and absolutely you can argue that with the text Oh yeah. yeah. but mostly I, I you know being she was cuban she was part of pedro Bang, and um a lot of her work was done in the earth and i fa- i found that very compelling that you know she was an immigrant and this was not her soil and she was trying to press her very body into that soil and leave a a, a footprint you know a, a body print as it were um and as that's part of also what's in this book this search for you know who i am and 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 where what what is home where is home mm. so um i think that in that sense but also the sexuality it, it goes down to the core of it right and and the want the canyon of want so yes it is there but it was not um overtly Overt. meant
0: yeah overtly yeah. meant yeah. but yeah no. but there is that sensuality in there that's yes. so rich and so aligned with the earth and and all of the things that are so much a part of us and so much a part of our desire so i Mm -hmm. i just love that. that. i want i want to be sure and let our readers know that tortiera um has just been reissued as a limited edition hardcover right carrie where where can our readers find this because they should they should buy this book it is just so gorgeous and beautiful, and as I said, the, the this thread that goes through it of devel of the developing human and and the um, acknowledgement and assertion of who that human is is powerful. Well, thank you so much. Um, you can get it uh, from Texas
1: Review Press. Um, it's a hundred copies signed uh, and numbered. Gorgeous, you know, when I saw my name on the spine, I'm just, I'm just really, part of me is that Cuban girl who loved books, that little girl who, (laughs) who would see these books, and they, those were my movie stars, so when I saw my name on the spine of a hardcover, I'm not gonna lie, I I got a little teary-eyed, and uh, that, you know, that child that hopefully we all still carry within us, she's so happy, so I feel, I feel really, really very thankful to my press, to my editor, J. Bruce Fuller, who has believed in me from the very start and who, you know, gave gave me this beautiful gift of this limited edition book. So yes, Texas Review Press, and you can also find it on Amazon.
0: Wonderful. Well, let's, let's go to another poem because I think um, if that first section is really about little girl grows up um this next section, as you said, which I called um, resistance, and one of the other words I was thinking about uh, in my mind that it could be called was rebellion, which I think is more appropriate to what you were going through and what you might call it. Um, this, This poem, this next poem I think is so crucial in the arc of the life of the speaker. So, would you read uh, "Coming Out to Mom"? Um,
1: you mentioned Sappho, and this is my favorite of the quotes, and I use them as as uh, section markers. And that that is, "Mother dear, I can't finish my weaving. You may blame Aphrodite," and I I love that because that is the rebellion. And what we're speaking about the domestic, like, no, I, I I can't I can't do that. I'm doing this. So this is uh, the culmination of this particular act and I agree it is a crucial poem and it's one of my favorites. Coming out to mommy. The cushions were beige, dinner partied, lived on, scrubbed clean as bleach would allow. She spoke of remodeling, zero percent interest at rooms to go, how what couldn't be replaced could be reupholstered. We scoured fabric stores for bolts of cloth, dark enough to mask my stains, strong enough to handle the strain of starting over, as if perfect squares of enchantment twill could contain the messiness of living. At home, I slid scissors across material she pressed into my hands. She watched as I struggled for straight lines, as I wept over jagged edges I could not control. She taught me to conceal irregularities, to pin them down beneath the sting of a staple gun, smooth new skin over battered innards, cushion after cushion reassembled, both of us sure I too
0: could be remade. The fact that this poem ends that second section And that last line is about remaking. It's perfectly placed there. Because the speaker is talking, the speaker's in the process of remaking herself in juxtaposition to the mother's wanting her to be (laughs) something very different than what the daughter sees herself as.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. So the remaking is you know, up to interpretation, depending who's, who's defining it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And just that whole sense of this domestic, the domesticity that, again, this small, little, tiny circle that cultures were expecting women to fit through when we were, many of us, not all, some people it suited them just fine, and that's perfectly okay. But uh-huh. but many of many of us, that small was so narrow, so small for our souls, our spirits, and just that the the fourth stanza, the where the um, speaker is uh, struggling for the straight lines, uh, it's it's just beautiful. It's almost like the spirit is absolutely rebelling. Against uh, all these expectations that cannot be fulfilled. Yeah, correct it's it's a gorgeous poem, and I'm so glad you re- uh, read it. I want to, um, uh, I think maybe we'll go to the next poem and then, um, but first, I want to say just also in here, Harry, is your details yeah. are so great, like 0% interest at rooms to go. That is such a specific, lovely little detail that puts us right there with the socioeconomics of this family, with what what's, can be afforded, what what's desired, um, again, with the family that is struggling and yet trying to make the most of it, but in this very narrow, that's not only Around sexual identity, but also around socioeconomic status. So there's sure. there's a lot going on in this, as in all your poems. So let's move to the um poem in this last section. Uh and would you just read the Sappho uh quote from that leads oh, off? Sure third section because I think that that's it just defines it so well. And that's on uh, page 57.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Once again, love drives me on the loosener of limbs, bittersweet creature against which nothing can be done. Right. And that's that's what this section is all about. It's, you know we we're speaking about surrender i think this could also be surrender this is this is who i am you
0: know take it or leave it so exactly exactly and and owning that for everyone uh, you know despite <laughs> despite potential repercussions because isn't that a huge challenge in claiming who we are because it could be that one is banished from what one knows correct as the arena of acceptance and love so navigating that course is potentially dangerous yeah it's very fraught the whole the whole um
1: you know i I remember when 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 i came out um it's a funny story that my my uncle was picking up my cousin who was from LA. And the first thing he said to her when she got off the plane was, tu prima cari is gay. <laughs> and you know, not, how are you? And, and she said, okay, and? And I have to say, that's how it ended up being. But the coming to that, okay, yeah, every everybody talked about it for about you know 3 days and then they moved on to the next story i was lucky in that that was the, the that was the extent of it i didn't have to deal with you know any sort of a uh, physical or a really harrowing emotional uh, repercussion which is uh, often the case but still the terror of the leading up to that denouement if you will was really really um harrowing yeah, and and worrisome, and there was just a lot on the line. So yes, that line was just like, and and that again, surrender, and and the surrender was what led to the triumph.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is what this last section is all about, and ah, uh, yes. Could you would you read contemplation of a name? Yes, contemplation of a name.
1: Stay, see if I don't taste of guayaba and Mame, sweet guarapo thick as my hips, swaying sweaty Celia Cruz rhythms in black-seamed stockings and Cuban heels. Stay, see if I don't bring Dutch parrot tulips, orange and red blazes for your table, Belgian chocolate pyramids stacked on Virginia's dishes for your buffet, the essence of French lavender in a cobalt decanter for your vanity. Stay, see if I don't pick three trifectas in a row, read stray pony hairs like tea leaves across the stable, kiss you at the window, winners. Stay, see if I don't learn that song you love, pour it in your ear, my voice a sediment that sifts through your veins, silt that settles with every beat. Stay, see if I don't warrant the weight of avocados, figs or kumquats, whatever your fruit, even the pomegranate, so delicious you forgive its seeds.
0: Oh my, that just says it all. That that is the surrender in there. The surrender and the desire. And And the desire. And, you know,
1: the interesting part is that the pomegranate, when we think about um, the Garden of Eden, it's always been the apple, right? And historically, they say it would have been a pomegranate. Mm -hmm. So that's a little, that's another little uh, um, rebellion, as you mentioned. So I tried to take these traditional symbols and images and kind of queer them. yeah yeah. as it
0: were as it were it's it's just so terrific and you know that uh that last line or the last phrase so delicious you forgive the seeds is a definite it's for me it referenced that um the sappho quote that you read earlier of course yes yeah of course loves drives me on bittersweet creature against which nothing can be done so i'm paraphrasing there but um that's it Nothing can be done. Nothing can be done. You are listening to the Hive Poetry Collective here at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. I'm your host, Julia Chiappella, and we're talking to Caridad Moro Granlier. You can follow the Hive Poetry Collective at Hive Poetry on Twitter or at the Hive Poetry Collective on Facebook. We've also got a website and you can find that website at hivepoetry.org. And on that website, you're gonna also find all our archived radio shows so you can listen to them anytime. And you can also find them on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We've also got a tri-yearly newsletter so you can subscribe by going to hivepoetry.org. We'd love to tell you what we're up to And I want to remind you again that Caridad has a limited edition of her book, Tortillera, out, a hardback edition that the little girl in her is just thrilled about. Thrilled! And and it's available at Amazon. And where else, Carrie?
1: Uh, TRP, Texas Review Press. Okay. Uh, You can find
0: it online. Okay, great. And uh, Carrie just read the poem, Contemplation of a Name from the book Tortillera and the what struck me in going through a lot of these poems Carrie is your love of music and your love of story so those two things you know I'm I love Gregory Orr's I don't know if you're you probably are you know Gregory Orr's for I am. temperaments but those are yours and you do them so well um the sounds in all in all of your poems um sifts through veins silt that settle with every beat that's this the the sibilance and the meter together you want to talk a little bit about that what what that how why, how does that sit in your bones and where is that from <laughs> you know
1: um i am very musical i sing um and music is always around so it is kind of it it is a music in my head that when i'm writing the line and and some of my fellow poets will say that they read it out loud when they're writing i never read it out loud i hear it in my head i don't read it out loud until i'm ready my wife is my first reader so i'll i'll give her the draft when it's ready and then i read it out loud to her oh
0: that's when i'm writing yeah, it's, it's yeah.
1: this. And then when I'm editing, you know, that's when I go back and and, and then the poem kind of reveals itself to me sometimes, like, uh, you know, the abstinence that I'm using or the anaphora that I didn't necessarily um, plan for, but is there because it's it's already in my head. I'm just not consciously aware that it's happening. So I'd love to be able to tell you that I'm super disciplined and. And, you know, I'm planning it, but that's, that wouldn't be truthful. It just, it, it kind of takes up space in my head and I hear it and I put it on the page.
0: Well, isn't that, yeah, I, I I think that's, that's where the muse is. The muse is not logical or rational or any of those things. We just have to listen to her and honor the, where she comes from. and And then we can move into another realm where we're, you know, working it into a state that's oh. gorgeous. And you know, the anaphora in contemplation of a name with every stanza beginning with stay, and it's a monostick. It's just one word on a line, followed by a comma. and having having that space, because I think that's another thing you do so well in your your poems, is you allow this space for the reader to really come into the poem and linger, with that stay, just it's it's beautiful. <laughs> it's, thank you, it's thank really you. Beautiful, and all of these elements in here the the Celia Cruz uh, rhythms and the the Dutch parrot tulips, orange and red blazes for your t- the Belgian chocolate, the French lavender, beautiful, beautiful images that evoke this this desire, evoke this romanticism, evoke this merging, beginning. Melting, I, the beginning of- The beginning of a relationship that, you know,
1: when you're besotted and everything, you know, I, I wanted to use these very uh, sensory, uh, luxurious kind of images mm. um, and things that I love. Those are my favorite tulips. Ah. Um, yeah, you know, some of it, that, that that to me is also the magic of poetry, that, that some of it is very literal, you know, and and some of it is not. And it's this beautiful dance, for me at least, between both.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is a beautiful dance, isn't it? Language is just... It is. It gets us. And, 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 you know,
1: you mentioned the muse, and, and so much of it
0: is just a gift, and it comes through you. And lands on the page. Yes, if if we're fortunate, you know. Yes, if, if,
1: <laughs> it doesn't yeah. always work that way.
0: <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> we can produce a lot of crap. I'm just, poetry. I'm
1: just <laughs> romantic about it now
0: because this one's done. You don't want
1: to hear yeah. me in the middle of no, it. No,
0: right? no, 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 um, no. Yes, but I love that. That I so appreciate that uh, aspect of your. Uh, your poetry craft, as I said, with the music, with the sound, and also with story, because it seems as though all of these are stories. And I'm sure, you know, we talked a little bit before we went on Zoom about both of our uh, backgrounds a little bit, because I have a a grandmother who was born in Mexico. Your parents are both Cuban. Uh, There's the stories in the Latinx culture that that they are what make things alive. They bring us humor. They bring us tragedy. They bring us all kinds of ways to navigate our lives, not necessarily all things that we would want to necessarily follow. But, um, talk a little bit about story. To, uh,
1: you know, I, I come from a family of storytellers. And I think largely, because of their particular immigrant experience that so much of the artifacts were left behind, you know, the yearbooks and the photo albums and the um, uh, history of a family, the chronology, right? Um, they told it in stories. So no, I, I couldn't see what my mother's Keen address dress looked like, but you bet. It was described to me in in very uh, vivid detail. And with it, you know, it was anecdotal, right? It was telling the whole story and the boy she danced with. And on the day of the dance, he had white socks on and they should have been black. And that was like, so that's just one example of how I learned to create a family history. It was through story. And uh, I come by it, honestly, they are good storytellers. I come from, you know, family who's funny and, and they know how to spin a yarn. Um, and I, I'm told that I come by my my sense of drama also, very honestly. <laughs> 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 we have a dramatic streak. So the story, um, that's one aspect of it. Plus, You know, I'm just going to confess, I'm going to come out right here and say that I probably read more fiction than I do poetry. I am, um, yeah, I am a big fiction reader, and I know that that uh, permeates the poetry. Um, The poetry, of course, is a different vehicle, but my want to tell a complete little, uh, you know, story within the poem is always there. And there are some poems in the book that are less narrative because I fight, I fight, you know, being a a one-trick pony and just writing all narrative poetry, but it is my love. And you mentioned Anne Sexton, she's one of my uh, guiding, you know, lights when it comes to poetry. She's one of my biggest muses and, and influences. And she got a lot of flack for being a narrative, quote, a confessional poem, poet, um a lot of flack and it contributed I think a lot to so much of what ailed her so many things did but that was definitely one of them and not feeling accepted so there was a point in this where I thought this this is going to so narrative you're going to get you know perhaps called on that and I decided to listen to Anne Sexton who told me to do what I wanted to do and tell my stories and and it turns out that it, it's a highlight. I think people really respond to that, especially those audiences who aren't natural poetry readers, who have right, who have gone to my events, um, and who have said to me, "Oh, I really got what you were saying. Oh, when you told that story, it was like you were telling my own story." So well, I think that that is very gratifying.
0: I think that's really gratifying, and I'm I very much appreciate it because while there is uh, a a inclination around some arenas in poetry to heighten the, the metaphors, the images, the uh, sound at expense of maybe accessibility to some people. Um, I I appreciate it when that accessibility can particularly bring in more people into the poetry arena who might not necessarily enter that arena if they're prevented by you know being able to understand what's going on. So right I I I really I'm I'm glad you're doing the the narrative angle. And even though that's you know that's your strong suit and you know as we all know any strength taken too far can become a weakness that's it's still such a A rewarding and lovely thing to embed in your your poems, I think. So, thanks for doing that.
1: Thanks. (laughs) But I want to know as women. There's so just a little aside as women. There's so there's so many stories out there um, that are male stories, and I thought, you know, why don't I tell some of my stories, and and in a surprising way, so that was part of it too. I think, I think clinging to story and knowing the importance of story, um, can't be, um, can't be undone. We have to, we have to truly admit, isn't that, we all want the story. We all want the story.
0: We do. We do. Stories are what guide us in so many ways, intrigue us, teach us. Yeah. And, and, and connect us. So, you know, you mentioned the the male the male writers and their stories. Well, it's not only the male writers; it's the male white writers. So, the the fact that we you know um, BMWs when I when I was teaching uh, survey courses,
1: I would say we're not doing any BMWs. The British white males here. Um,
0: <laughs> so yes, absolutely, Absolutely. Yeah. I I do want to get uh, some of your newer poems in. So um, you sent a, a few to me, which are just terrific. Are these, Are uh, do you have a new book you're looking at? Uh,
1: it seems that way. It seems that way. Good. Good. Um, I, I've also been working on nonfiction um, memoir, uh, creative nonfiction. And, but the poems just come and, and I stop for them. I love them. So yeah. Yeah. Where, where um I have like a for the first time um in November I gave a reading where I read only poems that were not in Tortillera. and that was that was a big deal that
0: I had enough work that I felt that that I could do a reading with so yes we're on our way terrific so with that in mind would you read never did say so I will this poem um
1: is actually a, a testament for those writers out there that Prompts and deadlines can be very freeing. The panic—it's something funny that kind of sets something free in you. And this was an assignment and a poem that I had long wanted to write. And then Dustin Brookshire of Limfrost Magazine put out the call for the Dolly Pardon poem. So thank you to him for for putting it out, there, dropping the gauntlet, right, and and having me uh, write this poem that, that I love. Never did say so after Dolly pardons to Daddy. We jumped a red eye to France to celebrate a decade of marriage. And I prayed to love him as much as I loved Paris. I willed myself to shine like the same to the clock at the Orsay, to stop at least once a day and kiss him along the Champs-Élysées. I willed my body to unfurl like an accordion in his hands to murmur and bellow the song of Le Marais but no matter how I unreeled the film strip of the we I willed us to be, his face remained obscured in every image, the lens trained on me. Not that I said so in a language he understood, I walked ahead and switched to French when we deplaned, rendered him mute with sentences he didn't ask me to translate. S'il vous plaît, pouvez-vous nous aider, nous sommes partout? He believed I was fluent enough to speak for both of us and didn't think to learn any words for himself. Content to nod and follow, he didn't blame me when I got us lost on the way to our last dinner on the Rue des Soleil because the driver heard Rue des Soleil and drove the wrong way across town, a mistake that encapsulated our lives. The two of us stuck in a moving vehicle miles between sunny and sorry, an error that tripled our fare and cost far more than we'd planned for. I apologized, but he laughed because France still ran on Franks and he still had enough patience to forgive me anything. I nodded when the driver offered to appease us with un peu de musique américaine and slid Dolly Parton's greatest hits into the cassette deck. My husband took my hand then, confessed how relieved he was to know the words, how happy he was to be going home. Such a good omen, he said, but he was mistaken. No omen was Dolly, but an oracle, a prophecy, singing about the fate of a woman who never did tell of what she felt, who faked her grin and forgot her face, who willed herself to love the noose of her wedding ring. The last verse told everything she never said. How her longing was faster than silence. How she bolted the door behind her. How she never did say goodbye.
0: That's a true story. If you're just tuning in, We're speaking with Caridad Moro Grandlier here at the High Poetry Collective, KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz. I'm your host, Julia Chiappella. And Carrie just read this incredible poem, Never Did Say So, which is so compelling for its, not only that, uh, pushing through and reckoning with the choices one makes of who to be with and why to be with them, but tying it to Dolly is just brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, in prepping to speak with you today, I was listening to some Dolly interviews and as we know, she is unapologetically who she is. And I think that that, that's where this poem is going in so many ways. Um, But there is an awful lot of rue in this. There's an awful lot of regret at what's left behind.
1: Hmm. But But
0: it is in service of claiming the self. Right. Absolutely. And there's a. Go ahead. No, there is a melancholy. Yeah, there's a a definite melancholy throughout it. And the fact that there's both of these faces, you know, you have in the fourth stand and his face remained obscured in every image. And then later on, it's the woman's voice, the woman's face, uh, faked her grin and forgot her face. So these faces, these masks that we we right. show to the world and how how false they can be hidden even from, we're hiding even from ourselves. So right. uh, that melancholy that's in there is is so so reflects that. And the fact that yeah. you have French in here. So uh, do you speak French? Un peu. Un peu.
1: You know, funny, funny. It was. You always want what you don't have, right? So oh. I, I spoke Spanish, so I wanted to learn French because I Spanish was boring, right? So I'm a I'm a francophile. I love France and I love the language, but I wanted to wanted to encapsulate the um, estrangement between these two people, that you know, they're in this country and one of them can speak the language, but she's speaking for herself, she's there. And and, and what it says is, please, can you help us? We are lost. That's what the French says. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that of course is multi-balanced of course. Um, for this couple. And, and, but then also that, that he doesn't care to learn either, right? So I thought it was very compelling to use the French, and just a little bit. And even for the reader, if the reader was like, huh, I wanted them to be, huh, because that's kind of how these two people even are in terms of, why are we even together? Like, we don't speak the same language, and we don't care to communicate at this point. Mm.
0: Yeah. That tragedy of love having just gone, poof. Right. Uh and, And again, this the the music the story this is definitely a story um, it it's almost like a um, it's almost mythological in it's and and I see that going back to Anne Sexton you know and all of her myths that she used in a lot of her poems and especially with Dolly who's kind of a myth herself <laughs> She's truly pretty, truly you know
1: mythological and, <laughs> and and it that moment actually happened in, in the cab with this, in this cab, and it's one of those moments, I kept it for a long time, even before I was writing poetry actively. I knew in that moment when that taxi driver put his cassette in and that that was something more than just that moment, right? So when, when I get the call for work, I thought this is the moment, this is, and then I started actually thinking about what was happening? How I felt in that cab at that moment, and you know, Paris is wonderful, but it is also one of the loneliest places in the world if you're not there with the right person. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted that reflected in this piece, and I
0: think that it does. It definitely does. It definitely does. Carrie, I want to be able to get one more poem in before we have to um, part. Okay. And I'm wondering, um, I'm going to let you decide which of those two newer poems you would like to read.
1: Uh, I'm going to read, uh, in defense of my mother who never bought me a Barbie dream house. Excellent. Um, it, She told me it's her favorite of the poems I've written for her. So <laughs> nice. And when she listens all- to this, this one's for you, mom. She's here twice today, so. In defense of my mother who never bought me a Barbie dream house. I was too young to understand just how young my mother was when she worked the night shift at TRW building spacecrafts with her hands. Too young to know how it felt to hand over the whole of her check to my father who gave her an allowance, $10 after 40 hours, $10 he'd drop into her palm every payday. I understood Barbie called the shots. That dream house was hers. Pen and accessories songs the authority to tell her what to do. I wrote 31 letters to Stana that year, but he wasn't in charge. My father was. I thought I stood a chance because mommy loved Barbie's mid-century mod a frame too. How the chalet gleamed up at us from the slick pages of the Sears catalog. The wonder of real jealousy windows and wall-to-wall carpets unfurled on the kitchen table where she calculated just how long she'd have to lay that chalet away. Just how much she'd have to beg to convince my father to pay. I watched her turn the page, no dog ear to save her place. I'd like to say I was happy with the Barbie dream plane she placed under the tree, but I blamed her. It would take years to understand. She didn't want me to dream of staying put. She wanted me to dream of flying away.
0: That's just such a gorgeous tribute, and thank you, thank you. And the fact that you know, I mean, Barbie and Dolly are a little similar, right? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes, they are. Both
1: trailblazing blondes with big boobs, right? Let's say,
0: right. That's nothing wrong with that. Nothing nothing wrong with that.
1: Uh Uh-uh, no. You know, we were speaking earlier about the poem and how it happens. And when I first started writing the poem, it was about the house. And then I realized then the poem taught me that it was about my mother. So
0: that's the magic. It is the magic. It's, you know, no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. So if we're attentive to what's happening as we write these poems, they really do surprise us mm-hmm. with with what it is we need to discover. Right. And this, this whole book, *Caridad*, is embodies that that sense of discovery of this this human growing through these different stages. So, yeah.
1: Thank you for saying that because that was the, that was the hope.
0: Well, I think you did it, darling. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm so happy that we got to spend some time today. You've been listening to the High Poetry Collective here at KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. You can follow the High Poetry Collective at High Poetry on Twitter or at the High Poetry Collective on Facebook. And our website can be found at hivepoetry.org. If you'd like to receive our tri yearly newsletter, please go to hivepoetry.org and subscribe. And remember to order Caridad's book, Tortillera, from your local bookstore or on Amazon, where you can find this beautiful limited edition hardcover. Thank you again, Caridad. So pleased. Thank you you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Julia, and thank you for everyone
1: listening today. It's been a a joy and a pleasure to be here with you today.